Well, good morning. We are kicking off a new series, like I said this morning, called Downtime. And it's going to be looking at three different elements that are important in our life. Sabbath, simplicity, and solitude. And so I'm excited to hear both what uh, the Lord does through this series and what the Lord places on the hearts of Jenny and Andrew as well over the next couple weeks to figure out what it looks like for us as followers of Jesus to put these aspects into practice in our pursuit of Him, in our daily walk and our rhythm of life. And so uh, I'm just praying that the Lord will use this, that He will use this to draw us near to Him and to give us a clear understanding of who He is. Before we jump in today, though, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your word that we can come to today. Lord, no matter what's going on in our life, Lord, your word is here. We can turn to it, we can learn from it, it will guide us, and it will lead us to you. And so we thank you for that today. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears, that you would soften our hearts, that we would hear what you have to say to us today. And Lord, may you speak through me. May these be your words and not mine. May I not get in the way of what you wish to declare today. I pray us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to imagine a scenario with me. You're walking into the local grocery store. You're needing to perhaps get some items for dinner. And as you're walking through the grocery store, you run into a friend that you haven't seen in a while. Perhaps you haven't seen them since the kids got out of school this last spring, or maybe it's been a couple months, but you stop and you ask each other how you're doing. Now, what's the response that you hear most of the time from people when you ask them, how are you doing? Fine or good, or the other one you often hear is, I'm busy. That's what I hear from people time and time again when you ask people how they're doing, I'm good, but I'm busy, or I'm good, but life's busy. We're all so busy. In 2018, according to a study in the Pew Research Center, 60% of U.S. adults said that they felt too busy to enjoy life. In fact, H&R Block, the famous tax people, did a study of 2,000 participants in which the average participant claimed that they were so busy that they only get about 26 minutes of free time a week. Now, perhaps you can't relate to that. Maybe you're not that busy and you have a little bit more than 26 minutes of free time a week. I hope so. But it begs the question, what are we so busy with? What are our lives so busy with that we feel this way? Even if you have more than 26 minutes a week, perhaps you still feel busy. I think it's a mixture of a lot of things in our lives. It's family, it's sports, it's music lessons, it's playdates, it's work, it's side hustles that people are trying to do, it's yard maintenance, it's house maintenance, it's going to the gym, it's appointments we need to do and take care of. It, the list goes on and on and on. We all tend to be busy. And not only are we busy, but in our society, and our culture, this busyness is often celebrated. I want you to take a look at this Super Bowl commercial from Cadillac with me. Why do we work so hard? For what? For this? For stuff? Other countries, they work, stroll home, they stop by the cafe, they take August off. Off. Why aren't you like that? Why aren't we like that? Because we're crazy, driven, hardworking believers, that's why. Those other countries think we're nuts. Whatever. Were the Wright brothers insane? Bill Gates, Les Paul, Ali. Were we nuts when we pointed to the moon? That's right. We went up there. You know what we got? Bored. So we left. Got a car up there. I left the keys in it. Do you know why? Because we're the only ones going back up there. That's why. 
but I digress. It's pretty simple. You work hard, you create your own luck, and you gotta believe anything is possible. As for all the stuff, that's the upside of only taking two weeks off in August. Nespa? The celebration of working so hard, of being so incredibly busy, of not taking much time off for even vacation or leisure, and yet this wasn't always the expectation or even the hope. In fact, I was reading that economist John Maynard Keyes wrote an essay in the 1930s in which he predicted in the 21st century that we would only be working 15 hours a week. Keynes said, and I quote, for the first time since his creation, man will be faced with his real, his permanent problem, how to occupy the leisure. This became the popular view and was continued on in the New York Times in the 50s, suggesting that we would be defined by our hobbies and our family life rather than our work, that we would find an increasing amount of time for these areas of our life. And yet, I think most of us can look around our society and see that this is not the reality that we live in. We seem busier than ever. It's hard to find time to get together with people, to entice people to come to an event, or even to develop friendships at times as adults because we all stay so busy. The idea of a 15-hour work week, most of us would consider completely absurd, and we wouldn't even know what to do with the extra time that we would gain. But the problem, the problem that we have is that our busyness is not leading to satisfaction and joy. It's leading to an ever-increasing rate of anxiety, depression, divorce, suicide, and anger. So what do we do? Do we just continue on the path that we're on? Do we just continue to stay at the pace we are, maintaining our busy lives? Do we just take more vacations, or do we try to squeeze in some leisure activities here and there, hoping that perhaps this will help us to not feel quite so overwhelmed or not quite so busy? Perhaps we think that this will meet the need that we have. But I want to offer a different scenario, one that I believe is scriptural and biblical and offered by Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, we're going to start our time in the scripture there, looking at the words of Christ. In Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, this is what Jesus says. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' words here should give us pause allowing us to take a deep breath as we hear his words. Come to me. It's an invitation extended by the Messiah that he will provide for us when we're feeling overwhelmed, when we're feeling too busy, when we're feeling the weight of life all around us. Come to me. Come to Jesus. Why? Because he will give you rest. And the rest that Jesus gives us is unlike any other rest. It's not something that we can obtain through other means. It doesn't matter how many vacations that I take, it's not going to be the same as the rest that I can find in Christ. This rest that Jesus offers us is a rest for our souls. It is a deep rest that is needed in our lives. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it as paraphrase the message of this passage in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. This is what it says in the message. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, 
Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. I don't know about you, but doesn't that sound great? This image that if we come to Jesus that we'll learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That just gives me an element of peace right away in my being. Thinking about learning from Jesus those rhythms of grace that aren't forced but just become natural in our lives. Come to me. Jesus offers this invitation to us this morning. The good news, though, for us is that this isn't something new. This rest has been found in God since the beginning of creation. Look with me at the first instance that we see of this kind of rest in the creation story, jumping all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. It says, And on the seventh day... God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So right here, at the beginning of creation, the beginning of the world, of everything that God is putting into being, God institutes rest into the rhythm of work. Six days of work, one day of rest— God finishes his work on the seventh day and completes it with creating rest, with creating Sabbath. This is the first instance that we see of this Hebrew word for Sabbath, Shavath, meaning to cease, to desist, or to rest. Rabbi Abraham Heschel points out that the words on the seventh day, God finished his work, seem to be a puzzle. It is not said he rested on the seventh day. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth He says, we would surely expect the Bible to tell us that on the sixth day God finished his work. Obviously, the ancient rabbis concluded that there was an act of creation on the seventh day. Just as heaven and earth were created in six days, manuah was created on the Sabbath. After six days of creation, what did the universe still lack? Manuah. Come to the Sabbath, come manuah, and the universe was complete. Heschel suggests that this idea of rest was still needed when God had finished creating all other aspects. And so on the seventh day, he institutes this idea of rest. God didn't need rest. This wasn't something that God was worn out and tired after all he had done to create the world and the universe. But God knew that his created order needed rest, that his created beings needed rest. You see, God did not create us to work every day. He created us with a healthy rhythm in our lives of work and rest. And he not only created it this way, but then he modeled it for us. He showed us what that looked like as he rested himself. The God of the universe, the one who created it all, took time to rest. We see this in the Genesis account that God also made the seventh day holy. The idea of set apart, that it's set apart as holy. And this is the first thing that we see in Scripture as holy. And it's not a place that God declares holy. It's not a mountaintop that God decides is holy or a temple. But the first instance that we see of something being holy is a day. A day of rest that God created for us. And while the first instance of Sabbath is introduced and modeled here by God in Genesis... 
We see it commanded first in the instructions that the Lord gives Moses for Israel about manna in Exodus 16.23. In this passage, the Lord commands Israel that tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. And so God's instructions for Israel as they collect the manna is that when Sabbath is coming, they would collect double so they won't have to work on the Sabbath. But I want us to jump ahead to when God provides us with the commandment to rest in the Ten Commandments. So if you would look with me at Exodus chapter 20, we're going to look at the command that is given for Sabbath. So Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." So what we see here is the fourth commandment that is given to Moses when he's up on the mountain with the Lord, out of these ten commandments for Israel as to how they are to live, is twofold. The first aspect is to remember the Sabbath, and the second aspect is to keep it holy. So they're to remember this day, and they're also to work to set it apart for the Lord. You see, it becomes so easy for people to forget Forget these aspects even of rest that are ingrained that the Lord has given us that we need and we desire. And yet it's easy to feel like we need to just continue on, to work harder, to fill our days more and more, to be busy and far busier than we need to be. And so the Lord tells Israel, remember the Sabbath day. Remember this day to set it apart, to keep it holy. And he anchors the Sabbath in verse 9 is a weekly rhythm by giving us this element of six days you shall labor and do all your work. And then verse 10, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You see, work is important. We are created as men and women to work. We are to be contributing to society. We are to be giving of ourselves. And so scripture tells us here, six days you shall labor. It is good for us to work and to contribute to not just be idle all the time. We're made this way by God, that there are six days for it, but there is yet still a seventh day that we are to rest. And this rest that God commands here in verse 10, it's not limited to just the Israelites. It's really awesome how God sets apart this day, not just for Israel, but also for the son, the daughter, the servant, the livestock, even for the stranger visiting in your midst. The Sabbath rest is for all. And this is an important principle right here in Scripture that might be easily passed over. Here God declares that the essential humanity and dignity of women, slaves, and strangers, and said that they have the same right to a day of rest as the free Israeli man. This was certainly a radical concept in the ancient world, and yet this is how God commands the Sabbath to be honored. The Sabbath is tied back here in the Ten Commandments to the creation narrative in verse 11 as it tells us, Six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. You see, God is anchoring this commandment in what he did during creation. 
This is not a new commandment or a new way that the Lord is seeking to instruct Israel to set apart their weeks. But since the beginning of creation, God has established this idea of six days of work and one of rest, this rhythm that he modeled in the creation narrative and that he now is giving as one of the Ten Commandments. God blesses the Sabbath day and makes it holy, we see here at the end of verse 11. And it's holy in the sense that this day is set apart, set apart for rest, for worship, for enjoying the presence of the Lord, for not being required to be driven by the work at hand, but rather to be driven by desire to simply be with the Lord. And while the Sabbath was given as an Old Testament command, we see the Sabbath command also brought up in the New Testament in multiple places. One of the spots that the Sabbath is brought about is in an argument between the Pharisees and Jesus where they're trying to catch Jesus, their enemy, in a fault. And so they use this idea of Sabbath to try to capture Jesus for breaking it, to use it to catch him disobeying the law. So if you would look with me at Mark 2, we're going to look at our final passage today. Mark 2, 23 through 28. We're going to see Jesus' instance of the Sabbath here. It tells us in Mark 2, 23, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So here in this text we have Jesus and his disciples, and they're walking along through a grain field, and his disciples are plucking the heads of grain, which according to these religious elite was not allowed on the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath had gone from being a day set apart as holy, a day of rest from work, to having all these laws of how you had to obey the Sabbath, of what you could and couldn't do, of what it looked like to actually not work And so rather than be something that was a joy, it became a list of how one had to obey the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees are calling out Jesus' disciples, saying they're plucking heads of grain. That is work. You see, the rabbis had filled Judaism with these elaborate rituals related to Sabbath and the observance of their other laws. I want to read you some of these. It says, ancient rabbis taught that on a Sabbath, a man could not carry something in his right hand or in his left hand across his chest or on his shoulder. But you could carry something with the back of your hand or with your foot or with your elbow or in your ear, your hair, or the hem of your shirt or your shoe or your sandal. Now here's another one that goes on to say, or on the Sabbath you were forbidden to tie a knot, except a woman could tie a knot in her girdle. So if a bunch of water had to be raised from a well, you could not tie a rope to the bucket, but a woman could tie her girdle to the bucket. You see, they had come up with all these rituals, these elaborate ways that the Sabbath had to be kept. The Pharisees are not concerned with the premise of the Sabbath as what it is that God created for man, but they're concerned with the legality of it, of what boxes can they check and can they not check in order to keep this day as holy. 
They've lost sight of what this day was truly about. And they're seeking to use those elements, those boxes to be checked, to be able to catch Jesus breaking the law. But the issue with this is we know that Jesus never violated God's law. What he does do here, though, is break down their legalistic additions to the law that become commonplace. And Jesus pushes them to consider David's actions, to realize that sometimes the human need is more important than the religious ritual, than these idealistic rituals that they've created around Sabbath. The fact present here in this text is that if Jesus, the very Lord of the Sabbath, was not disturbed by his disciples' actions, then the Pharisees should not be offended either. And Jesus then goes on to inform the Pharisees that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The intent here is that the Sabbath is a gift from God for mankind. It is a gift to provide us with rest, a reminder of our place in God's creation, and to worship But we were not made to be slaves to the Sabbath, to let it become a task-driven observance that's devoid of joy. Now, you may be wondering as we talk about the Sabbath, as we read these stories, that for those of us who now live after the law has been fulfilled, do we even need to pay attention to the Sabbath? Scripture shows us that we are under a new covenant and that no one is under obligation to observe a Sabbath as the law commanded. Colossians 2, 16-17 says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The Sabbath commanded here and observed by Israel was a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is Christ Jesus. In the New Covenant, the idea, though, isn't that there's no Sabbath. But that every day is a day of Sabbath rest in the finished work of God. And since the shadow of Sabbath is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, we are free to keep it on any particular day, I would suggest, or even no day, although I would not recommend it. But I believe that the need for Sabbath is still ingrained within us. While it's not commanded by the law, while if you don't keep a Sabbath, there are no grounds biblically to take you out and stone you for that, I believe that it is still something that the Lord has given us a need for within our lives and that we still benefit from God's gift of the Sabbath. I believe that the need of rest in our society is so strong that it's evident around us. I don't know about you, but when I don't take time to intentionally set apart times of rest in my week, I find that I am exhausted, that I am irritable, and that I lack joy. I believe that the Sabbath is a gift from God that is intended to be a great source of joy in our lives. It's no longer a legalistic guideline that we have to keep, but it's a gift that is meant for us to be able to help us in the rhythms of our life as we seek to be disciples of Christ. And so I would encourage you to practice Sabbath in your own life. And there are many different ways that one could suggest celebrating and honoring and participating in the Sabbath. There are many books that if you're interested in this concept of Sabbath, I would suggest that you read that have better details and more ideas than I could offer. But I want to suggest four ways this morning that I believe that we can practice the Sabbath in our own lives. And these ways come from practicing the way, which is a nonprofit that has a study on Sabbath. 
Before we jump into these four ways, though, I want to share the description of Sabbath from practicing the way, because I think it paints a picture of the umbrella that all this comes under, and this is what practicing the way says. It says, the Sabbath is a 24-hour time period set aside to stop, rest, delight, and worship. It is the best day of the week, and in our era of chronic exhaustion, emotional unhealth, and spiritual stagnation, few things are more necessary than the recovery of this ancient practice. So we're going to break it down those four areas and go over those. So the first one that they suggest is that we stop. Marva J. Dawn in Keeping the Sabbath Holy suggests that on Sabbath we should, we should practice stopping our normal work. Along with this work is the pressure to be those who are producing and accomplishing and ceasing trying to be God in our day of rest. This concept stems from the original Hebrew language, the definition of the Hebrew word for Sabbath, which means to cease or to desist. Martin Luther said the spiritual rest which God especially intends in this command, the command to keep the Sabbath holy, is that we not only cease from our labor and trade, but much more, that we let God alone work in us, and that, all, that in all our power do we do nothing of our own. You see, the Sabbath is this idea of stopping and remembering our place, that we are not God, that we can take a day away from our work and our labor and the world will continue on. That is not all contingent upon us. And so in seeking to stop on Sabbath, we acknowledge that we are not God. That is not our job to keep the world going. And we remember our place in the created order. Now, don't get me wrong, this will be difficult at first. If you've never practiced Sabbath and you're used to just going, 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 working, 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 it will be difficult at first. It will be hard to stop working, but it will become easier as time goes on. And personally, one of the ways that I like to practice Sabbath is distinguishing the difference of work in my life between the work that I do in my normal daily work, which is the work for the church here, and the work that perhaps I would choose to do on a Sabbath. I like to bookbind and rebind Bibles, and so for some that would be work. But for me, that's not work. So I can do that on the Sabbath, but I try hard on my Sabbath to not spend time writing my sermons or doing work for the church in general. Uh, Abraham Heschel, who I quoted earlier, suggests that if you work with your hands, Sabbath with your mind. And if you work with your mind, Sabbath with your hands. And so for me, that's kind of where I got the idea of putting that into practice. I work a lot with my mind. And so to Sabbath with my hands is a good reprieve. It is life-giving. It is enjoyable for me. It is a way in which I stop and I rest. That brings me to the second point of Sabbath, of putting into practice, which is to rest. Part of how we can enjoy the Sabbath is finding ways in which we rest on this day. I appreciate the analogy that A.J. Swadoba in his book Subversive Sabbath said. He stated, a Coca-Cola philosopher, sorry, excuse me, stated, studies reveal that 37% of Americans take fewer than seven days of vacation a year. In fact, only 14% take vacations that last longer than two weeks. Americans take the shortest paid vacations of anyone in the world. And 20% of those who do often spend their vacations staying in touch with their jobs through their computers or phones. He says the point, even when we do vacation, we do it poorly. But even if we did vacation well and took great amounts of time off for restorative rest, vacations are a poor substitute for a weekly day of Sabbath rest. 
I think the devil loves taking that which is of God and giving us cheap knockoffs. When God invented sugar, the devil makes sweet and low. When God made sex, the devil comes up with adultery. The devil always twists the goodness of God. The Bible is silent on vacations. Why? Swedoba suggests because if we kept a weekly Sabbath, we would not need vacations. Vacations are what Jurgen Moltmann has called the Coca-Cola philosophy of Western life. In the 1990s, Coca-Cola had a well-known campaign depicting people doing hard work and then popping open a cold bottle of Coke and taking a swig. We yearn for that pause that refreshes. Unfortunately, we try to refresh ourselves with empty calories or vacations, which are not really what we need. Our souls stir and long for Sabbath, not the frills of a sugary vacation. You see, to find ways to experience true rest on the Sabbath is an important element of putting this into practice. So sleep in on your Sabbath if you can. Take a nap. Go for a walk. Enjoy resting on your Sabbath. Find ways in which you rest. And how you rest may be different than how I rest or how someone else rests. And I'm not going to give you a checklist that you need to complete, but rather just find ways to rest on Sabbath and to rest in ways that perhaps you're not able to in the rest of your week. The third way that we can practice Sabbath is to delight. Or in some books, people said to feast under that category. My family, years ago, started putting into practice Sabbath in a more intentional way. I've heard about Sabbath for a long time and tried to practice it in some form for quite a while, uh, but it's looked different throughout the years, and it's looked different as my kids have been at different seasons of their age and life. But one of the things that we started doing under this category of delight or feasting is that we kick off our Sabbath on Friday night with a Sabbath dinner. So our Sabbath starts Friday night and goes till Saturday after dinner. And part of that's because I work on Sundays. I'm here with you all as part of my vocation. And so our Sabbath is on Saturday. But we kick it off with a dinner on Friday night. And often we eat in our dining room. We have a dining room. And often we'll even get out the, the china that we were given for our wedding to make it special. And we'll cook a dinner and then we'll have a special dessert of some sort. A pizuki or a big plate of brownies with ice cream. Some way to set it apart to feast and to delight with one another, to make it special. And that's become such a rich time for our family. And as we have dessert, we do some sort of thing about Scripture, about God and what He's been doing in our lives, some way to bring it back and to remind us that the delighting that we are doing, the feasting that we are doing, is not just because we want to feast ourselves, but because we are delighting in the Lord and what He has given to us. Pastor and author Eugene Peterson, in talking about his Sabbath, says that they defined our Sabbath this way. We could do anything, but nothing that was necessary. We would play and we would pray. Anything under the category of play was legitimate. Anything in the category of pray was legitimate. And for Peterson and his wife, that meant long hikes on Monday mornings, finding ways to delight in the day to spend your Sabbath enjoying what God has created. And like I said, for you, this may look different than what it looks like for me. But to find ways to enjoy God's creation with those around you, delighting in what God has made, and finding ways even in the midst of that to feast as well. And the last point that I would say that we can put into practice with our Sabbath is that we would worship. Worship is an important element of the Sabbath practice as it grounds us in who the Sabbath is ultimately about who our lives are ultimately about, which is God. So find time 
on your Sabbath to worship the creator, the sustainer of the universe, of our very lives. Take time to pray. Dan Allender in his book, The Sabbath, says it's not wrong to petition God on the Sabbath, but the heart of the Sabbath is to delight in all he has given us rather than to ask for what has not yet been fulfilled. Prayer on the Sabbath might well fit into the categories of praise or invitation. So take time on your Sabbath to pray. Take time to sing songs. If your Sabbath ends up being on Sunday, come to church as part of that rhythm. Worship God together as a community. Take time to reflect on God's presence in the previous week. Or I read some who would write down things they were grateful for in the last week on each Sabbath as a way to remember gratitude and to worship God for what he has done in their lives. There are many ways that you can choose to keep Sabbath in your life. And it may change from year to year. But I would encourage you that you would put this into practice in your life, that you would find a rhythm of rest, that rhythm of six days of work and one day of rest. Louis Giglio stated that Sabbath is not so much about a day off as it is a day up, a day to remember that he is God and we are not. Without Sabbath, we forget who we are and lose sight of who he is, leaving us to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. When there is no Sabbath in our lives, we become intoxicated by the lie that the sum of our lives depends on our efforts alone. We get to the place where we truly believe that the outcome of the story fully depends on us. But in truth, we are tiny, limited beings. Our biggest and best efforts still accomplish far less than what God can do in us, through us, or without us in one breath. You see, as we celebrate Sabbath, the most important purpose of the Sabbath was to serve as a preview picture of the rest that we have in Christ. So as we put that into practice to remember that the rest that we find on Sabbath is just a picture of the rest that is ultimately to come in Christ alone. And so may you be encouraged to find that rest and that restoration in Christ by putting Sabbath into practice. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the encouragement that we see in Scripture, for rest, for the gift that you have given us in this form of Sabbath. And so, Lord, help us to not take it lightly, but may we be encouraged in this gift that you have given us. And, Lord, may we find rest in the rhythms of our week, and may we honor you in that time. We love you and we praise you. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.